You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. All right, Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness, your loving kindness, and we thank you for the truths of the gospel. We pray that those would shape our mind and our heart, and I pray to you that as parents you would help us to have uh, gracious attitudes, and I pray that you would help us to convey that to our children as well, and that your Holy Spirit would be at work in their hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so um, so we're doing a series. This is called A Gospel Attitude. And, you know, I, um, I don't know about you guys, but I find for myself as a parent that that's one of the, when I'm correcting my children, that's, one of, that's probably the primary thing that I am like correcting them on. Like, hey, that you're not having a good attitude or you're having a bad attitude. It's interesting how that language kind of organically as, as a parent has flowed out of my mouth a lot with my kids. And so, um, and so I've kind of, for, uh, for several years, talked about, not necessarily with my kids so much, but uh, more in like my men's Bible studies or, or my student Bible studies about having a gospel attitude. So if you're living under the truth of the gospel, you inherently will be grateful, inherently will be humble, and you inherently will be compassionate. Like those are three natural uh, fruits in terms of the attitude that you'll have. And so as I thought about that, those kind of align with your attitude towards uh, attitude in in the direction of certain relationships. So your attitude towards God, grateful attitude. Attitude towards yourself, humble attitude. Attitude towards others, a uh, compassionate attitude. And so, um, and so, you know, as we kind of get off to the races, we have just to have a little bit of discussion here. First, I, you know, here's a definition of attitude that I pulled off the internet. It said a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something, typically one that is reflected in a person's behavior. So it has to kind of do with the way that we perceive, the way that we think about, the way that we feel about, and that usually our attitude usually you know, uh, will, will, will manifest itself in our behavior. So let's think about this. When it comes to our kids having a bad attitude, <laughs> let's start at the kid level. What, what are times, and, and Victor, you can, you can you know, think about this when they were smaller or now, whatever you want to do. <laughs> now that I've outed you, no. But, you know, like, what would be an example of our kids having a bad attitude? We might say, like, hey, you have, you have a terrible attitude right now or you have a bad attitude. What would be examples of that? I, I, can, I can start. Um, yeah, I think if, if I'm asking my child to do something reasonable, asking my child to do something reasonable like, you know, please take your bowl and put it in the sink, um, and they act like, you know, I've asked them to uh, give up a kidney and saw off their arm, um, then I am like, hey, you're having, you know, you're having a bad attitude. You know? And usually the, you know, their attitude will convey itself in their behavior in terms of they either do it you know, begrudgingly and stomping or they just resist and don't do it at all. So, anyhow, so that would be a time where I'd say, hey, you're having a bad attitude. Um, uh, it doesn't even have to be kids. I mean, we do that too. No doubt. Yeah. yeah, that's the next line of questions. Don't worry. Yeah. Well, the parents. Wait, what was the definition that you read? It's a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something. I think 
how they display uh, sort of their attitude is an outworking of like whatever narrative is kind of guiding them. So like this is actually not a great example. Louise, you know, last night we had to go pick her up because she had a nosebleed from this party. Oh. And um, like at midnight. And then anyways, I was taking her back this morning to go have breakfast with her friends. And she was still just very sad that she had to leave. Even though we were going back, even mm -hmm. though like, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm in my pajamas still, like, making this happen for her. You know, she's just blinded by, like, kind of her narrative, which is, and she said, I missed all the fun. Mm. I mean, I picked her up at 12, 15 a.m. <laughs> you know, no fun. I'm sure pretty, you wow. know. Um, yeah. But I, I just was <laughs> struck, and I didn't correct the attitude, but I said, if you don't feel like you can go and make this morning about Eliza and her birthday, I'm going to need to take you home. Like, wow, uh -huh. just because that's not, we're just not going to do that. Yeah. You know, but that, I think, just knowing Louise, I think, for a, a number of reasons, some just her frame, you know, just, but also certainly where she is in our family, like, there's a real just fear and narrative of being shortchanged, being yeah. left out, right, yeah. getting the seconds, mm -hmm, you know, never mm -hmm. getting, like, yeah. And I just saw that very clearly. In oh, that's the good. Statement. Yeah, I think one of the valuable things you said there is that there's a narrative that we live under, and that narrative is all, is going to shape our attitude. So that's good. How about how about as parents, um, where we can find ourselves having a bad attitude? Uh, I know that for myself, uh, anytime when I find myself kind of complaining or feeling victimized uh, because I have to do regular things that any parent does uh, it's, it's a bad attitude you know like even if it's you know a, a child waking up in the middle of the night and then me having to go like put him back to bed or whatever in which I maybe one in a thousand times am I the one it's my wife 999 times I never do that Lauren's always the one who does that but whenever I have a, a you know attitude like that um, you know, it's like kind of this lack of gratitude that I even have kids, and this this totally unreasonable, you know, totally unreasonable expectations of what my kids, um, you know, if like Joe Gibbs once one of the best things he, I've ever heard in parenting that he taught me was um, was don't get mad at a three year old for acting like a three year old, don't get mad at a twelve year old for acting like a twelve year old. Uh, so I think when I have unrealistic expectations or when I act like I'm, you know, being shortchanged for having to do regular parent things, that's that's an example of me having a bad attitude. I would say for me, when um, when I'm not rested, when I'm not spiritually fit, yeah. when I'm, yeah. um, you know, worrying about something at work or wherever, and I'm preoccupied, where it manifests in me is I go zero to do it because I told you to. You know, there's no, yeah. there's oh, no wow. compassion, there's no, you know, it's a three-year-old, whatever it is, it's just from zero to do it because I told you to. Authoritarian, yeah. <laughs> That's really helpful. That's really, really helpful, yeah. Good stuff. Um, so... I will say something I think that's hopeful in this is that there is some sense that we have a little bit of control over our attitude. You know, there is a sense of like we can find ourselves like, okay, you know, I'm I'm having a really bad attitude about something that I'm going to have to do. You know, if you're a parent and you're going to spend 
10 hours at the baseball field on a Saturday and Friday, you know, and, and it's July, and on Friday night you're, you know, maybe complaining about it, whining about it, having a terrible attitude, there is a sense of like you can catch yourself and say, okay, I'm, I'm not really having a very good attitude about this. How, how do I repent? You know, and I think to borrow some of the language that you use, Ginger, is like how is it that I like come under a proper narrative, the proper narrative of the gospel? Because when I'm under that narrative, it's, it's, it seems like relatively organic that I'm going to have a more accepting, a more grateful, a more humble and a more compassionate attitude. And so much of a bad attitude, I feel like negative self-talk patterns, where yeah. like one thing goes wrong and then it puts me off and then it's like, right. every other thing is just compounding on that one bad thing. And you've got to have a moment of like, 180. Yeah. This is not really that bad. I'm just being ridiculous. Oh, that's so good, Kayla. Yeah. Well, and I think too, one of the things that you said there, it's like one bad thing happens that tends to affirm the false narrative that we live under in the flesh. And so... Um, it makes me think of, I don't really remember this, this was years ago that we did it in our small group, but the Julie Sparkman, where she's talking about like the ruts and idol addiction. Yeah, uh-huh. Um, I don't really remember it. It's just, that's the visual I have. Uh-huh, right. So see, there you, I can remember her, the, the language she used of like, See, there you go. I knew it. Everything was going to go bad. You know, everything was going down the tubes. And so now the attitude, there's a major shift because the narrative has shifted. Um, and so, so one thing that's interesting in, is that, you know, in the secular, this language of like having a positive attitude or whatnot, it's not like, you know, it's not like something that is exclusive to the Christian world. Uh, you know, this is certainly when it comes to the secular world that a lot of emphasis in terms of like self-help uh, doctrine is is about attitude, and so one thing I would say that's interesting is, um, you know, is that attitude in terms of both for ourselves as parents, but also in terms of cultivating this with um, with kids, is that an attitude needs to be based in substance and in reality, uh, and that's one of the shortcomings of having a positive attitude when you look at different. Um, Different, different things in secular literature uh, with regard to cultivating a positive attitude is that, um, is that the just trying to have a good attitude um, is not, it's not very sustainable and it's not very helpful if it's not based in substance and in reality. And so I think a good example of that, um, uh, <laughs> that's an old, old movie, and, and um, it certainly has some very, very like questionable scenes. Definitely not a movie to watch with children and not a movie for any man to watch by himself without a wife to uh, censor for him, but the, Mar- the movie American Beauty uh, from the early 2000s, maybe even late 1990s. And so um, Annette Benning is... She like listens to some of these like self positive self talk self help kind of uh, things in the movie, and she, one day she's trying to sell um, she's trying to sell a house, and the house is dilapidated. It's you know it's a mess, and um, and she gets there for the open house, and no work has been done. You know the pool is disgusting. The house is, you know, just covered with dust, and so there, you know, it shows her cleaning up the house, and she says, she says over and over again, "I will sell this house today. I will sell this house today. I will sell this house today." And you know, like, hey, she was, she was trying to get motivated. I'm not, I certainly wouldn't judge her for for saying these things, um, and 
Like that's not re- that's not that's not really necessarily true. And she doesn't she doesn't sell the house. She shows it to a bunch of people. They're all really critical of the house. And at the end of the day, she's you know just a mess. And so the reason I kind of bring up that example is um, the kind of positive attitude that she was trying to cultivate as she was cleaning up this nasty house and there was no one to help her um, wasn't really grounded in reality or substance. Um, there was no guarantee that she was going to sell the house, and so um, and so I, I looked at a couple of illustrations about you know um, about uh, cultivating a positive attitude from uh, from you know, some secular sources, and so this one uh, if this is from LifeHack.com. This, the first point was you determine your reality. That was that was kind of in terms of, of cultivating in terms of cultivating a positive attitude. It was it was this, the first point where you determine your reality. So which is very consistent with kind of the secular mindset today of you know reality. We all construct our own reality within our own mind, within our own consciousness. You know if if I if you know if 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 I think it's I think if I think one plus one is eighty eight. Then it is, you know. If if uh, let's just let's just go there. If I think that I am uh, female, but I have a male body, then I am female. And so, what's going on in the subjective realm follows what is actually maybe physically true. And so, so with that being said, if that's the default mindset for us as sinners, because this is what this is what Eve does in the garden. Eve constructs her own reality when she sees that the tree is good for eating. That's that's self-constructed reality. Um, then it's, we're really just deluding ourselves. Like you can't have a positive attitude. If it's if it's not grounded in reality, in in in, the, in this life hack article, it says it's important to realize that you determine your reality by the way you react to the outside world. When something happens, you get to choose whether it's positive or a negative situation. It's like no, not actually. You know, like if you're diagnosed with cancer, you, you know, sure the Lord might do some really good things in that and might bless you, but we're not. No one's going to say that you being diagnosed with cancer is like, hey, that's a positive, right? But that's just not. That's just not, and that's not grounded in reality. That's not substantially true. Uh, another was <laughs> this is a university in um, Iowa, Clark University had an article for students during COVID about. Um, how to you know tips for cultivating a positive attitude, <laughs> and so you know one was listen to your internal dialogue. When faced with a negative thought, turn it around and make it a positive thought. For example, I'm no good at this. Could be changed to maybe this is one of my strengths, but I've tried my hardest and I'm skilled in many other things. I mean, there's not something inherently nefarious about what they're saying here, but again, it's kind of like um, it's kind of trying to reconstruct a reality that just isn't really based on substance or reality. Uh, it, it, um, anyhow, so I'm gonna, yeah, I'll just stop with the examples there. But that's one of the things about living under the narrative of the gospel that is hopeful and constructive and real, is that it's grounded in substance, it's grounded in reality. Um, and so, so with that being said, like when we have, when we have a negative attitude, we're not actually operating in truth. We're not actually operating um, in reality. Or when we're not compassionate towards other people, we're, we're living under a false narrative if we are not being compassionate towards another person. When we're not humble, when we're either filled with shame or we're filled with arrogance, we're not operating in reality.
Um, and so that's the hopeful thing about having a gospel attitude, is that a gospel attitude, or say a positive attitude that flows out of the narrative of the gospel, is actually grounded in truth, and it's grounded in reality and in substance. And so, um, and so, uh, with that being said, you know there are a couple of there are a couple of different ways to think about this in terms of a gospel reality. Um, a gospel reality. One is thinking about the gospel at the cosmic level. So the big picture, redemptive, historical narrative of what Jesus has done. Okay, so this is, this is the truth of the world that we live in, uh, if you're a believer, is that um, Jesus has come into the world. He has lived a perfect life for your sins. He has, for, sorry, for your righteousness. He has died on the cross for your sins. He has uh, risen from the dead, and he has ushered in the kingdom of heaven to this earth. Um, he then has ascended into heaven where he rules. He rules and is executing the redemption of the world, and he has sent his Holy Spirit, the very presence of God, to dwell in you. And you live under his care. He shepherds you as the Lord and the King of the universe. And the, the next chapter in redemptive history is the new heavens and the new earth. Or, if we, if, or if we you know, go before then, it's heaven. That is the big picture narrative that we live under. As Paul says in Colossians 1, this is kind of like my verse of the last year, that we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the domain of his Son. We now live in the new creation, the kingdom of God, the age of the Spirit, under the Lordship of Jesus, and with the Holy Spirit. And so that's the big picture, cosmic, global, universal narrative that we live under. And so one of the things I pray in the morning is, Lord, I pray that I would have peace in the gospel. Uh, You have come, you have died, you have risen, you reign from your throne, you have sent your Holy Spirit, my home is in heaven, and I pray that I would have peace in the gospel. Now that's me talking about the gospel at at a big picture redemptive historical level. Then we also... Um, can think about the gospel narrative um, and having a, a gospel attitude, so to speak, that's grounded in the individual, um, the individual benefits or implications of the gospel. So for me, um, I was dead in my sins and in my trespasses. Uh, I was under the wrath of God. I was destined for hell. Jesus came to me. He gave me grace through the Holy Spirit. He led me to, to repentance and faith. And now, as a product of that, I've been made alive with Christ. I am now justified. My sins are forgiven. I have the righteousness of Jesus. I am now an adopted child of God. I am now unified with Christ. I now have the Holy Spirit living in me, and I am my citizenship, my home now is in heaven. And you know, given where I was and where I am now, that is the that is kind of the gospel narrative for me at an individual level. Both of those are very, very hopeful and helpful, and both of those are true. Both of those are true. It's more natural for us to believe in the narrative of the flesh. The narrative of the flesh is, um, you know, God has abandoned us. Um, we're here all by ourselves. Um, we deserve better. I deserve better. Um, this world just doesn't understand me. The world should really be kind of organizing itself to accommodate me. And um, I should get what I want. And I'm good, and I deserve better than this. That that is the attitude of the flesh. You know, um, this world is chaos. It's you know, it's 
it's moving it's moving to you know it's moving to no constructive end and you know and which there's truth in that there you know at one level but but it totally neglects the reality of the gospel narrative, the redemptive historic narrative above us, of what Jesus has done and what God is doing right now. Um, and so, so that being said, as a, you know, we, part of having us as parents having a good attitude is repenting from the attitude of the world and of the flesh that we believe in our sin and instead and repenting and, and believing the, the the realities of the gospel and that shapes our attitude. And so so we're gonna here in this lesson kind of focus most on an attitude of gratitude. Oh man. Don't you love the rhyme? Holy cow. I normally I, I, I'm just about vomited in my mouth just saying that. I not I do not do cliches. <laughs> we had a, a great toaster in our aerospace College that says your attitude determines your altitude, and it had like this rocket ship. On. Nice. Oh yeah. Gotta love that. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> so anyhow, um, so we're gonna look at Romans five. We're gonna go verses one through eleven, and and this we're gonna focus on um, gratitude as one of the components of a gospel attitude. And again, this is kind of directed our attitude. Um, as we relate to God in the gospel. An attitude naturally, the, the gratitude and thankfulness flows out of that. Um, so, with that being said, I'll, since I'm being recorded, I'll read, uh, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of glory. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare... dare even to die. But God chose his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from him, the, for the, saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Okay, so the thing I want to focus on here in terms of having a grateful attitude um, is in order to really uh, have this ourselves and also to instill this in our kids, uh, we need to accept both the nice truths of the gospel but also the very hard truths of the gospel. I would say that in terms of our negative attitude, our negative attitude particularly whether it's explicit or implicit towards the Lord, is there is usually a sense of entitlement. Usually a sense of entitlement before God. And when we um, own the, the hard truths of the gospel, um, that, that absolutely wrecks and obliterates our sense of entitlement. I think that when it comes to me using the Lord's name in vain, or um, using profanity, usually what at the heart level um, is behind that when I sin in that way is I have a sense of entitlement that God owes me better. God owes me better than this, you know? And, um, and so there is, that is kind of in opposition, whereas if I'm grateful, 
um, if, if I have a natural a disposition of gratitude towards God, uh, that I'm not going to be as prone to act like that. Um, so let's start out. It says, you know, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, you know, on the positive side, we have, you know, we we were we were at odds with God, and now we have peace with God, and it's through Jesus. It's through what Jesus has done. Um, and you know that when when you see the term through our Lord Jesus Christ, um, that is that points towards us being unified with Jesus in His life, His death, and His death and resurrection, um, in His you know, redemptive work. And so it says through Him again, again pointing to the work of Christ, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of glory. So. You know, this, when it talks about into this grace in which we stand, this means that uh, we God has a favorable attitude towards us. Sometimes we think about grace as like God's help through the Holy Spirit, or we think about grace as God's forgiveness that comes to us. In this sense, another way to think about grace is that God has a favorable uh, and generous disposition towards you. And so, uh, you know, it, you know, it says we have obtained access by faith into this grace. That says that there, there was a time when we did not have it. You know, this is something that we have received through the, through the death, uh, the life and the death of Jesus. Um, that is new. It's a gift. And, you know, and so, gosh, when you receive a gift... Um, you know, or you know, something something comes to you that is totally not a product you've not worked for at all. Um, you have not earned in any sense of the word. Um, God, it really is this sense of gratefulness and thankfulness of like, man, this is this is awesome. This is you know, and you you really uh, have an affection towards the person who who um, gave that to you. I um I have on this really amazing jacket today <laughs> that um, is a gift. It was a gift to me from somebody. Uh, somebody gave it to me and they got it tailored for me and I didn't have to pay for it at all. And I'm just like so thankful for my jacket. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I can say it's an amazing jacket because I didn't, you know, it's not like I did anything out. Someone just gave it to me. Um, and so, um, and so, when somebody gives you a gift, uh, there is just this this sense of sense of gratefulness. Well, then, not only that, not only do you have a favorable attitude, but it says we rejoice in the hope of glory. So basically, this is this is referring to heaven, you know, and saying like, you know, the the end of our story is that we will live in heaven, and. Gosh, you know, I just think if you're a, if you've been a Christian for a long time, I've been a Christian now for 33 years, um, and that it would just, you get to a point where you maybe take for granted that God has solved the ultimate problem for you, the problem of death. You know, this um, uh, I've been reading a lot of uh, music and poetry related to heaven, and it's just one thing that's kind of struck me is how uh, death. In like Christian poetry and music throughout church history is spoken of in these positive terms, in the sense of like my reprieve, my my triumph, my victory, my relief, and um, what a gift that is that we can kind of take for granted. All right, number uh, verse three. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who's been given to us. And so, not only this, but you know, we, we also have this hope that when we are suffering, it's not meaningless. 
that God is genuinely doing something. He's sanctifying us. He's doing things for the sake of the redemption of the world that are far beyond our, you know, far beyond our understanding in this life. And um, and so, uh, what a gift it is that uh, you know God as our Redeemer. Um, Whenever, no matter what we're going through, there is actually a sense of hope, and there is something constructive about it, um, and that's real. That's not, you know, we're not we're not just making that up. All right. So then it starts to get more to the some of the hard truths here in verses six through eleven, and so it says, "For while we were weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person." Though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God chose his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so here is where you know we see it talks about our weakness and our incapability. It talks about how we were sinners and how Christ died for us. And then it's in verse 10, it's going to say, For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by death of his son. So much more now we are reconciled, shall we be saved by this life. Okay, so saved, that being a key word too. So, this is, this is the reality. This is the biblical reality of our situation before Jesus came into our life. Uh, and that was, number one, um, we were under the wrath of God. We were alienated from God. And that meant that we were destined to live for eternity in hell. Boom. Right there. Let's just drop it. How about this? Here's another reality. Uh, it's by, we'll say it's by God's grace that we've been saved through that. But here's another reality. And this is one that, when I go to this, it really does humble me pretty fast. That is, the second that any human being sins in any way, they should physically die and be in hell for eternity. That it is, it is by God's mercy, it's called common mercy, that any person lives beyond their first sin. And so the fact that we're alive at all, that we live beyond our first sin, we live to the point where, to that point of conversion, it was purely by God's mercy that we were sustained through that. And so, you know, I, if you, think of, um, you think of a person, people who have come from an awful situation, um, come from an awful situation, and, 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 you know, just normal life to them, they are so grateful for normal life. Um, I, uh, in, in seminary and taking pastoral counseling, you had to go to a number of AA meetings or NA meetings or you know, just basic different recovery meetings. And one of the things that was so compelling to me in those meetings was to listen to people who the circumstances of their life weren't necessarily great. You know, they weren't like rich and jet-setting and have great jobs. I mean, they were, they were struggling. And yet, you know, a person who had been a heroin addict and who had been in prison, and who had, you know, nearly died from drug overdoses, and now, they, you know, they had one day sober or one day clean, and they were just so grateful, just so great. Hey, I didn't, I didn't, I did not, I did not take any drugs yesterday. You know, I was clean. I've been clean this whole day, and they're just so grateful. And so it's because they've come from that really, really painful, out of control estate. And, and it was real to them, you know, and, and they're and they're in touch with reality because they, you know, they made amends with people who they had who they had wronged along the way, and um, and they retell the story. They remember their, you know, they they go back and remember how life had been unmanageable, and and then they compare that to here they are today, clean, 
and they're really, really grateful, and they have this sense of contentment. And so the same thing is true for any, any Christian, but a millionfold. Because, you know, being under the wrath of God, being under eternal judgment, is much worse than not being sober. Um, and, uh, yeah, being dead, much worse than not being alive. And so it's, it, you know, that's why I think, yeah, I think a lot of times, uh, and there are age-appropriate ways to do this, but a lot of times there's a temptation, especially in our culture, to kind of steer away from the hard realities of sin and the hard realities of God's judgment and wrath and the realities of eternal judgment and hell. Um, and the thing is, is that, first off, it's not biblical. That's, that's you know, it's contrary to what Jesus himself said in the Gospels, um, contrary to what we see throughout all of Scripture. Um, it does not serve us well, either as parents, and it does not serve our children well, because we kind of ignore the, the, the really awful place that we were in our sin. And, um, and so, uh, when you kind of start to remember the hard truths, and then you think of the, 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 the good truths and the comforting truths of the gospel, those two together, there's just no way around it. You can only be grateful. You can only be graceful, especially when you think you know, that we, as it says here, that we were enemies of God. And while we were enemies, Jesus Christ, you know, he took on the physical uh, torture of the cross. But more so than that, he experienced what it would be like to be judged to hell forever in his death. And, and so when you think about that, you're at it, there's an affection there's an affection for Jesus, and there's a great sense of gratitude. And it's, it's, um, it's really hard. It's really hard when we revisit those things and come back under those attitudes to have anything but a grateful attitude towards the Lord. And so to get practical, as we kind of finish up here and land the plane, um, the, uh, a couple of practices of gratitude. And so, you know, I think that... Um, there, I think there are two levels that I think... Um, well, let me say this. You may have heard of a gratitude list. I know I have a, a friend who is an AA, and when I and he's a person that I'm like accountable to and vulnerable with. He's a cliff diver. He's the kind of person where, you know, I, if I'm really struggling in any kind of way, he's a, he's a person I can be totally honest with. And it, it's like we talk for like 30 seconds on a shallow level, and then we dive off the cliff and go deep really, really fast. And so, you know, something he'll encourage me to do is like, hey, you know, you should you need to do a gratitude list. You know, you're you're you don't you're not you're you're you're, you're miserable here, you're discontent, and you've got a bad attitude. And so, you need to make a gratitude list. And so, a lot of times when people talk about a gratitude list, they they talk about it at a circumstantial level, and that that's really valuable. We'll talk about that for a second in a second. But I think also it's valuable to do a spiritual gratitude list as well. Um, To write down at the redemptive historical level, like what are the realities that I live under? Um, What is the reality of Jesus reigning throughout the cosmos as king now um, through his redemptive work? What are the realities of the spirit in this world? What are the realities um, of history moving towards the new heavens and the new earth? Yeah, you're fine. You're totally fine. So, uh, no, you're totally fine. So like a redemptive historical gratitude list. Then there's also a spiritual, uh, like a gratitude list based on the spiritual benefits 
that have been conferred to us through Christ. Um, and I have a chart. I'll try to put it up on the website. But it looks at kind of some of the benefits of the gospel in terms of, um, in terms of like the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, Christ dwelling in us, the, um, that we've been adopted as children of God, that we've been justified, all these different benefits. But you know, making a, a spiritual gratitude list um, is also really, it, it, for, the, for the individual benefits we've received. And then a circumstantial gratitude list is also really a blessing and a good practice as well. Because any, anything we have in this life that's good any blessing that we receive is a, is a product of God's grace. It's not like we divorce the, the circumstantial blessings from the spiritual grace of God uh, that comes to us through Christ. But yeah, anyhow, and so a lot of times, especially for a child, um, a circumstantial gratitude list can be particularly helpful because they tend to think more at a concrete level. Um, but it's just important that we recognize, like these are these are gifts from God. You know, whether it's your your bicycle or it's your your buddy on the street or whatever whatever the things are that you're grateful for. Um, but I think you know, uh, I think that we can be really sanctified by listening to a child in prayer thank God for different things because we we just as adults we just take so much for granted. We take so much for granted, and and they just. See, in my experience, kids in a lot of ways can be much more pure-hearted in those moments where they're thanking the Lord for different things in their life. And so, um, yeah, I should I should be grateful for my Mach three razor. I like my Mach three razor, uh, you know. And, and and I can see that my child who is thankful for his his uh, you know his dump truck that he plays with in the rocks. Uh, you know, there's there's there is <laughs> something kind of sweet and sentimental, but also somewhat edifying there. And so, I would say. The, the, in the bottom line, the final thing here is that all of this is intended to lead our heart and mind to God and to bring us into the reality of the gospel, to bring us out of a false reality when we're, when we're having a bad attitude, our child is having a bad attitude, um, we're operating in falsehood. Uh, but when we repent and operate out of the reality of the gospel, that tends to give us a much more grateful heart and a much better attitude. So, um, so yeah. That's all I have. I'm going to pray, and then y'all can ask questions. God, thank you, thank you that you've uh, that these things that we were talking about that they're true and real, and that you've given them to us uh, through Christ. And Jesus, we thank you so much for the cost, um, the price that you paid to to extend your grace to us. And so, um, help us to have grateful hearts. Give us wisdom on how we can uh, lead our kids in this direction as well. Because every everything everything that we have, Lord, is a gift from you. And we should be only be anything but grateful. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.